When I was in third or fourth grade, we started a club in our neighborhood. And we elected a president and a vice president and a secretary and the most important position, a snack chairperson. And um, we had a secret password to get into the club. And I would tell you what it was, but it's a secret. And they might not let me back in the club if I told you. And um, my friend Mark Dodge was in the club and Eddie was in the club and we let Eddie's sister, twin sister Edie in the club because she was really pretty. And we let Jeff Blaney in the club even though we didn't like Jeff Blaney that much but Blaney had a clubhouse so we let him in. And we let Jeff Roundy in the club because his mom always gave really good snacks. And um, we let my brother and Blaney's brother in the club because they said they would beat us up if we didn't let him in the club. Now, there were some people we didn't let in our club. We didn't let Daryl in our club because, well, Daryl's mom was divorced and his brother looked like a druggie. And we didn't let Donnie in our club because his family was just a little different and they seemed pretty poor. And we didn't let Greg in our club because, well, Greg was a geek. Now, our club lasted about two weeks and then we disbanded. We disbanded because... Well, Edie's mom thought that maybe it wasn't appropriate for Edie to be in a club with all guys. And I said, if Edie wasn't going to be in the club, there was no reason to have a club. And so in the two weeks that our club existed, in its entire history, we didn't do any good for the human race. We did nothing positive for our neighborhood, but we had a lot of fun together. We enjoyed being together. We had a satisfying experience. Our club for us for that two weeks was a place to belong. It was a place to belong. Now, here's what I've discovered. When people grow up, they don't give up their clubs. Their clubs just become a little bit more sophisticated. Most adult clubs and civic organizations exist for the satisfaction of their members. They're a place for their members to belong and a place for their members to have a good time together. And unfortunately, this seems to be true of many churches also. Most churches seem to exist to meet the needs of their members, to please and to satisfy their members. And many churches serve only as many social clubs for the members of the church. And I think we can all agree that that is a luxury that we can't afford. It's a luxury we can't afford. We can't afford to let church be a club where in the end we, don't, we do no real good for humankind, but where we just enjoy being together. It has to be for us more than just a place to belong. But the reason it has to be more is because Jesus created the church 
to be more, to be something much different than a club that exists to please its members. And this summer, while I was on my summer study break, as I prayed about what God would have me share with you in the next season here at Impact, he impressed on my heart that we needed to talk about the church. Now, not about impact specifically, not not about what we need. This series isn't going to be a bunch of commercials about what we need here at Impact. And we don't need to talk about other churches or other religious groups and uh, where we disagree with them or where we think they're getting it wrong. No, we need to talk about the church as Jesus established it and envisioned it. You see, the church wasn't just invented by people. It wasn't invented by people to control us or to manipulate us. It was established by Jesus himself. And so we need to talk about what the Bible says that the church should be instead of focusing on what it has become. You see, I believe with all my heart that it's difficult to exaggerate how important the church is the church is in God's plan for us. It's difficult to exaggerate just how important the church is in God's plan. And I think the church is a huge part of how God plans for us to grow and to learn and to follow him. And I don't think most followers of Jesus are considering the church as important to them as it is in God's plan, as God thinks it should be. Pastor Bill told you last weekend that most who consider themselves active in their church attend one time per month. So why do American Christians fail to hold the church as a vital part of God's plan in their lives? Well, honestly, one reason is many churches have failed. They have failed to be what God intended. Some churches really have become clubs for people to hang out with people that are like them and people who they like and some churches have become toxic places that don't at all match what Jesus intended church to be and some people have been hurt and they've suffered abuse by churches and as a result they've pulled back from churches because they just don't feel safe there but I don't think that's the main reason people don't allow the church to be as important to them as God intends. I think the main reason is people have decided it is just one of their options in life. It's just one of their options. I mean, they put it on the same level of importance as other activities that they or their kids are involved with. And many don't even put it on the same level. I mean, many sports teams and other activities ask for far more weekly commitment than the church does but it's the church commitment that seems optional to many. And it seems to me that some have decided that the church is kind of optional. It's a nice thing to do. It's a great place to be if you find a church that you like and if you like the pastor and if you don't have anything better to do that weekend. And for some, it just is one of the options. But for some, it isn't just one of the options for the weekend based on what works in their schedule. For some, the whole concept of church is optional. I mean, they will say that they don't like organized religion, or they will tell you that they worship better 
in nature by themselves than they do in some church building somewhere. Now hear me clearly. I'm not trying to step on toes. I'm not trying to be critical. I don't have an agenda here except the agenda that I have every time I stand to speak to you. And that agenda is to point you to Jesus. That agenda is to help you figure out and take your next step in your relationship with Jesus and to move you towards him. And I want to help you avoid or overcome problems in your life by showing you how applying God's wisdom can help you each day. And I think that the common understanding of what God intends for the church is creating a barrier for many people in their path that God wants them to walk. I think our misunderstandings here are blocking our relationship with God. And I honestly believe that if we open the Bible, if we see God's heart in creating the church, that people will find it easier to walk with Jesus and to grow in Jesus and to become stronger spiritually. So in this series, we're going to look at what the Bible says about the church. In fact, we're going to examine the names or the titles used to describe the church to help us rethink our understanding of church. This series will probably open our eyes to what Jesus intended for the church and it will challenge us to change how we think of the church and how we commit ourselves to Jesus through his church. I mean, if the church is the bride of Christ, then maybe we need to consider how we express love. And if those of us in the church are soldiers of Christ, maybe that should change our thinking about serving. And if the church is the body of Christ, that means that what I think about the church is what I think about Jesus because the church is Jesus. It's the body of Christ. And if we are the family of God... Maybe we should become less dysfunctional. Maybe we should figure out how to be less dysfunctional. You see, as we examine what Jesus intended for his church when he established it, we'll get a picture of what impact is supposed to do and to be, how we should be treating each other, how we should be treating people around us. And I'm sure that uh, this will make us feel uncomfortable at times. And some of it may help us feel comforted that what happens when we open our heart to God and that's what happens when we, deal, we let him deal with us through his word. And I hope you'll be here each weekend during this series. And if you have to miss one, I, I'm going to ask you to listen to the message online so that you can track with us the entire way as we rethink church together as we rethink church together. But as we begin this series, let's pray together, shall we? Would you silently in your own way just ask God to speak to you right now? Ask him to help you push aside preconceived notions and any defensiveness you might have. Father, I pray right now that for each person here, that you might speak to them, that you might speak to us collectively as your church, but individually as your children. 
Father, I pray that people can get past my humble words and hear your heart. For it's in Jesus' name, amen. So as we begin rethinking church, we're going to start with the word that's used most often in the Bible for church. It's how it's translated uh, from the language that the Bible was written in is the word church. Now, the word is a Greek word. And as part of my Bible college education, I took 28 college units of Greek. Aren't you impressed by that? Now, now I want you to know two things about that. First thing is this, I have forgotten almost everything that I learned about Greek back in Bible college. Don't walk up to me and speak Greek and expect me to understand you. It's not going to happen, okay? The second thing that I want you to know about that is you don't have to know Greek to understand the Bible. You don't have to understand Greek to understand what God is saying to you. I don't want you to think that there's some secret wisdom in understanding Greek that makes you finally understand God's plan for you. The English translations that you read on your devices or that you pick up off of your bookshelves are great translations. God has promised to protect his word and you can gain every bit of God's plan for you by looking at what the English translation you use says to you. Now having said that, allow me to look at the word that's most commonly translated church. It is the word in Greek ekklesia. The Greek word ekklesia uh, was used for the first time in the Bible by Jesus. It came from the mouth of Jesus and he was with his followers in a place called Caesarea Philippi. And if you go with us to Israel next year, I will show it to you. Today, there's ruins of an area that had many temples to many different gods. And uh, you can see there in the middle, there's a cave there uh, that was part of a temple that had been built in front of it. And the cave was called the Gates to Haiti, the Gates to Hell. And Jesus is here with his followers, and he decides to use this place uh, with many temples to false gods to discuss what they think of him. He begins by asking them, what do most people say about me? Who do the people say that I am? And his followers answer him, and they give several answers. And then Jesus decides to get more personal with another question. Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 16. But what about you, he asks, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. There's the word ecclesia. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So Jesus praises Peter, and then he talks to them about his church. And the passage tells us several really important things about the church. And we could do a whole message on it, but we're not going to. I'm going to go over just a few important things very quickly. And I'll tell you that many of them may come up in future messages. But the first thing um, that you want to see is the church is built on Jesus. It's built on Jesus. The foundation of the church is who Jesus is. That's what Jesus says to Peter. Upon what you just said about me, that's going to be the foundation 
of my church. The church is built on who Jesus is. The second thing that you need to see there is the church is unstoppable. The church is unstoppable. Jesus says he will build his church. And if Jesus builds his church, there's nothing that's going to stop that. And the third thing that it says is the church is powerful and it cannot be defeated. It's powerful and it cannot be defeated. He uses this place that symbolically has the gates to hell. And he says the gates of hell will not stand against it. I think sometimes we get that wrong. Sometimes we have this picture when we read that passage of the church hunkered down inside these protective walls. And all of the forces of evil attacking the church and those gates stand. But that's not what it says. It's the gates of hell that will not stand. So the picture is actually the opposite. It's the church attacking all that's evil. It's the church, the army of God, launched against everything that's evil and the best defenses Satan has, the best protection he has will not stand. What this passage says is no matter what, we win. No matter what, the best that Satan can throw at us will not work because the gates of hell cannot stand when the church is working correctly. We cannot be defeated. But now what did Jesus mean when he said, I will build my church? Now, just to be clear, we're not talking about a church building here when we talk about the church. We're not talking about a building. In fact, there were no church buildings when Jesus said that he would build his church. The early church met in houses and outside in different areas. And they met for a while in the Jewish temple. And for 300 years, there would not be a church building as we know it today. So we're not talking about the building. The church Jesus is talking about is the people that follow him. It is the people of God, not a place or a building. So when Jesus says he will build his church, what is that church supposed to do? What is that church supposed to be? What are we as the church, his people, supposed to be and do? Let's explore the word he used for church and let's see if we can come up with an idea about that. First, we are called to a better life. First, we as the church are called to a better life. We get some insight on the church by looking at the Greek word. It's translated 114 times in the Bible as church. And the word ekklesia is a compound of two segments, okay? Ek is a preposition meaning out of. And the verb kaleo signifies to call. So it means to call out, The word literally means to call out. So we as the church, we as God's people are called out. And the concept is exactly what we read in 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at that. But you are a chosen people, royal priests, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. You were chosen to tell about the wonderful acts of God who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. At one time you were not a people, but now you are God's people. In the past you had never received mercy, but now you have received God's mercy. Now there's so much in these verses that describe the better life that we are called to. The passage says that God has called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Let's focus on that for just a few minutes. How do you do when you are in a completely dark place? 
A few nights ago, Jill had gone to bed before I did, and that's pretty common, that happens. But So when I went into the room to go to sleep, the room was completely dark. And normally we have a nightlight, but I had unplugged it and we hadn't plugged it back in. And so I'm trying to be quiet because she's asleep and I'm trying to do what I need to do. And as I'm walking through, I stubbed my toe. And not just any toe, my pinky toe. You know, that little toe. That hurts more than anything else, you know. I mean, I don't know why that toe's there anyway, but it hurts like crazy when you stub it, right? And so I had just kind of recovered from that, and then I walked into a drawer that I had left open. And she slept through it all. She did not wake up at all. She's just amazing with her ability to sleep through things. So how do you deal with darkness? I find it safer when I walk around in the light than when I stumble around in the dark. And Jesus has called us out of darkness into his light. And there are so many people around us who are stumbling in the darkness. They're just stumbling around in this dark world. This world is so dark. I mean, when we read about all the evil in our world, when we read about the hatred, when we read about murder rates, when we read about our world, it's such a dark place. When you read about the suicide rate, it's just soaring. And that means many, many people are just trapped in darkness. And when we trust Jesus, he calls us out of darkness into his light. He calls us to be his chosen people, to be his holy nation, to be his priests, ministering his love to people, to tell others about his wonderful acts of mercy and kindness. He calls us to a better life, a life of light instead of darkness. His church is established to be light bearers in the world, to shine forth his hope and his mercy. And as his church, we're supposed to be different from everyone around us because we have hope instead of hopelessness. We have light instead of darkness. The second thing that we can pick up from the word used for church is we're called to life together. We're called to life together. There's another way that you can look at this word for church. We can examine how it's used in the Bible, but we can also examine how it's used in places other than the Bible. And this word, ecclesia, was not a religious term in Jesus' day. It was not a word that was used primarily in religious circles when Jesus began to use it. It was re used to refer to several things. It was uh, used to refer to citizens being called to gather for a specific civic purpose. It's the word that was used to refer to soldiers who were called to gather for uh, a battle or called to gather for military purposes. An ecclesia was simply a gathering or a, an assembly of people called out for a specific purpose. The word never, refer, never referred to a specific place, only to a specific gathering of people. So it makes sense that my Bible college professor uh, defined the word ecclesia as a called out assembly. 
a called out assembly. And when Jesus said that he would build his church, he was making something abundantly clear. Church involves a gathering of people. It wasn't then, it isn't now, and it never has been something that we can do alone. By the very word Jesus uses, he was saying, I'm going to build into your life a group of people for you to be with. He never intended for us to struggle alone in this world. He intended for each of us uh, who has chosen to follow him to have a group, to have an assembly of people, to have a church to do life with. And that's the consistent teaching of the Bible. We're called to do life together. Look at what it says in Hebrews 10. Let us think about each other and help each other to show love and do good deeds. You should not stay away from church meetings, as some are doing, but you should meet together and encourage each other. Do this even more as you see the day coming. The passage is clear. One of the reasons that we are here today is because we need to help each other. We need to encourage each other to show love. We need to encourage each other to do good things that God wants all of us to do. And that is why people making coming to church an optional part of their schedule is so dangerous spiritually. That's why it's so dangerous spiritually, because when you aren't here, you don't receive the encouragement that you need uh, to help you and to motivate you to move forward. And by the way, when you aren't here, others don't receive the encouragement and the help that they should be receiving from you. You see, this isn't intended to be a guilt trip or a legalistic thing. We're called to do life together. That's part of being the church. When we're functioning as Jesus' church, being together is a natural thing. It's a happy thing to do. And again, this is one of the ways that God intends for us to be different than those around us. Everywhere else, when people get together, they have to pretend they have to pretend. I mean, when they're in most crowds, they want to look like they have it all together, even if they don't. They don't want to show their weakness because they worry that they'll be rejected if they show weakness. They're, they're worried that they'll be exploited because of it. You see, they have to, in those groups, they have to take care of themselves. They have to look out for number one. They have to protect themselves. But Jesus dreamed of a church that was different than that. He dreamed of a church, a called out assembly of people where we could get together and where we could admit we need help. We could admit our weaknesses. This is a place where it's okay to not be okay. This is a place where it's okay to not be okay. Now, if you are here for the first time and you wandered in here and you were worried that everybody would figure out that you're not okay, I want to tell you it's okay. We're glad that you're here. And if you're not okay, you need to know something else. I'm not okay either. It's okay not to be okay. And I know that sometimes the church has gotten this wrong, that people at the church have somehow thought that they needed to pretend to be perfect or pretend to be holy and that sometimes they've been harsh and condemning towards sin and towards failure. But that isn't what Jesus wanted for his church. That isn't the church that 
Jesus established or dreamed about. He wanted this to be a place where we could come with our hurts and the people who were there would listen to us and would help us. And he wanted this to be a place where people could admit their sins to other people and have people not say that their sins were okay, but to encourage them and help them overcome their sin. And he wanted this to be a place where people could be challenged when they get selfish or prideful or greedy. He wants this to be a place where we're strengthened by being together. We're called to do life together, to do life together. Lastly, we're called to a significant life. We're called to a significant life. The word for church had another usage. It had this idea of being separated from something or set apart from something. And that's kind of the called out part we talked about earlier. But this wasn't just separated and set aside. This wasn't just separated and thrown out. This was set apart for something special. The best way I can help you understand this is to go all the way back to Christmas Eve dinner at my grandma's house. We were seated around this huge dinner table and my cousins were there and my aunts and uncles were there and there was just this obscene amount of food on the table and when everybody had finished eating their meal, my grandma and my aunts and other people would be helping and they would be clearing the table and my grandma would say, keep your fork. She wanted us to give her all of the plates, all of the other silverware, but she wanted us to set apart, set aside our fork. And you know what that meant? Something good was about to happen. There was going to be dessert. You see, that fork was set apart for a special purpose. And the word for church is similar. Uh, it has this definite idea, not just that we're called away from something, but that we're, that we're called to something better. Not just that we're separated, but that we are set apart for something exciting and significant. And I touched on it a few minutes ago, and you might have already noticed that this is in the passages that we looked at earlier. Look at just part of them again from 1 Peter 2. But you are a chosen people, royal priests, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. You were chosen to tell about the wonderful acts of God who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And then from Hebrews 10, let us think about each other and help each other to show love and do good deeds. We were chosen to tell about God's wonderful acts of kindness and we are assembled to motivate each other towards love and towards good deeds. Now this is an important point, so write it down. We are not set apart for our protection, but for his purpose. We are not set apart for our protection, but for his purpose. And sometimes when people talk about the church, they seem to think that Jesus put us in the church to protect us from being contaminated by the world around us, that we're kind of supposed to stay in our holy huddle and help each other to be protected from being polluted by all of the sin and evil. But we are set apart not for our protection. We're set apart to accomplish his purpose in the world. And that purpose is something that Jesus talked about a lot, but he gave it to us very clearly just before he left earth and went back to heaven. We call it the Great Commission. Look at these verses from Matthew 28. 
Then Jesus came to them and said, all power in heaven and on earth is given to me. So go and make followers of all people in the world. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that I have taught you. And I will be with you always, even until the end of this age. Basically, Jesus wants to make sure that others become a part of his church. He wants to make sure that his church is never a closed group, that it is never an exclusive club. And so to answer the question that's in the title of this message, does it make a difference? Does the church make a difference? Yes, absolutely yes, when the church is functioning as Jesus wants it to function. The church is God's plan for giving hope to the world for giving you and I hope and when the church is doing it Jesus's way it's all about Jesus and it's built on who he is and when it functions correctly it is powerful and it's unstoppable the church is God's plan for people to hear his message of salvation the church is God's plan for people to cross the line of faith and then for them to be taught how to follow Jesus fully the church is God's plan to give you encouragement to give you encouragement to love others and to do the good things that God wants you to do so the church makes a difference we are called out we're called together for his purpose we're called together for his significant purpose but I don't want to end the message without noticing that in those verses Jesus told us to go and make followers by baptizing them by baptizing them. And the reason that I think that's significant here is because baptism connects to all of these things that I've just told you that we're called to. Baptism is how we're called out of darkness into light. It is where we choose to get rid of the darkness in our life, the filthiness of sin, and to put on Christ who is the light of the world. And baptism is where we're joined with all of God's people. We are baptized not into the church. We're not baptized to become members of the church. We're baptized into Christ. We're baptized into Christ. And when we are in Christ, we are joined with everyone else who is in Christ. We become a part of his uh, assembly because we're in Christ and baptism pictures our death to our old life and our resurrection to live for Jesus. And there's some tension in this concept of baptism because on one hand, baptism is meant to set us apart, to separate us from our sin, to separate us from the world. But on the other hand, baptism joins us with Jesus, with his death and his burial and his resurrection. It is where we are joined to Christ and therefore join to his church because we become family with Jesus and with each other. So today and each week during this series, we want to invite those of you that might not have yet taken the step of baptism to do so today. Being baptized is a choice that only you can make. Your parents can't make it for you. Your grandparents can't make it for you. If you believe that you are a sinner and that you're lost because of your sin, separated from God because of your sin, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for your sin 
and you are ready to trust him and turn away from your sin and follow him completely, if you're ready to commit yourself to him, to die to who you used to be and live for him, baptism is the right choice for you. You are ready for that. In fact, I think that might be why God brought someone here today. We had one baptism last night. We had one baptism in our first service. And I'm wondering if there's somebody here that God brought for this purpose, that he has been waiting patiently for them to commit themselves to him. He has been calling them out to a better life, to a significant life, to life together with his people. Look at what 1 Peter chapter 3 says about baptism. God was waiting patiently for them while Noah was building the boat. Only a few people, eight in all, were saved by water. And that water is like baptism that now saves you. Not the washing of dirt from the body, but the promise made to God from a good conscience. And this is because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Just like the floodwaters lifted Noah's ark and saved those who were safely inside, baptism will bring you safely to Jesus. Baptism saves us not because there's magic water, not because uh, the water physically somehow washes our sin off of our body. The saving act in the baptistry is the person calling out to God, asking him to forgive them, promising to trust him, promising to follow him. And in the baptistry, we connect to the saving power of Jesus' resurrection. That's what that verse says. We die to our old life and we're raised to walk in new life with him, forever part of his called out assembly. So I'm wondering if there's anybody who's ready to do this, to be set apart for Jesus through baptism. You might be thinking, you know, I'd kind of like to do that, but I didn't come prepared for that. Well, we're ready. We have clothes, we have towels, we have everything that you need to be baptized today. And um, the water in the baptistry is warm. And um, we're ready to do that today. And uh, these people are ready to celebrate with you if you make that step today. And I don't know if there's anybody ready today, but if you are, here's how you can make that choice. We're gonna pray in just a minute and then we're gonna sing a song. During that song, if you'll just meet me over there in that corner of the worship center, we'll make sure that you get ready and that you are baptized today. Now, if you are a child, fifth grade or down, we think it's wise for you to take a class before you do that. And so you still come over there and we'll talk to you about that and we'll schedule that class for you and we'll still celebrate with you. But I'm wondering, is God prodding anybody today to take this step.